never say die! Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 176 of 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh, and this week we're going to take a look at The Man from Uncle, which was set in a simpler time. A time where you could sexually harass a different woman every week and be considered suave. A time where you could bring a handgun onto an airplane. A time where you could worry about perishing in a fiery holocaust unleashed by the Soviet Union. We're on fire! (laughs) (laughs) There's the punchline. Mm. Yeah, so this week we are... Watching back, the man back, back when misogyny was considered an asset. <laughs> I like that guy. He hates women. Dude, the the uh chick with the pistol in her purse on the plane. That right. was I was like, this was a different fucking time. <laughs> it was that easy just to get a pearl handled revolver onto a plane. Just put it in your purse. They never check that. No, never. Alright, so yeah, the man from Uncle, uh the T V show. We all watched a couple episodes of that and uh, did a little research and we watched the uh two thousand fifteen fifteen Guy Ritchie version for this one, so dun 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 no, 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 dun no, that's, dun that's dun. not it. That's not it. Really no, that's still, still not, not it. You're going the wrong way. You're everywhere you look. Everywhere you look. Fine. You know, everywhere you look, if you want to find excellent podcasts, you should go to the Podcast Collective. Who thought that was going to work? Uh, Where you can find such shows as the Bad Parenting Podcast, On the Block, No Hope for Humanity, The Coffin Joe Cast, Joel's Own The Sunshine Happy Pants Hour, Dating Baggage, The Internet with Scott the Pool Boy, I Am Salt Lake, Mint Inbox Cast, Tales from the Hard Side, The Dog and Deuce Show, the Empty Rant Podcast, the Portland Beer Club Podcast, and of course, the Rad Dad Radio Hour. And Joel's newest show, the Post-Apocalyptic Cast. <laughs> you got it, dude. <laughs> Featuring Michelle Tanner. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you're looking for any of our older stuff, you can find us on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and TalkShoe. Or if you want to give us a call, you can call us at 708-NOW-RAP, 708-669-9727. Or you can uh, email us at 40go14 at gmail at gmail.com or find us on our home at the web at www.40go14.com. If you really want to get fancy, you can record your voicemail and then email it to us. Which is what happened tonight. Ah, it's like Soul might, Ghost. That might be why I mentioned it. Yes. Soul Ghost. All right. Now, we have not screened these, as is tradition. So. Ass blasters! <laughs> You think after that one we'd start? <laughs> nah. Yeah. All right. So here we go. This message is especially for Pat. I absolutely agree with you that True Colors is a fantastic song, but you've got to be kidding me that Cindy Lauper's version is better than this smooth, sultry voice. <laughs> And Michael is right. You should be a little bit afraid. I do have ice shivs in great supply. All right, so that's a coworker. I'm worried. <laughs> I have the strangest direction. <laughs> One direction? I was going to say, aren't they all at this point? <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, so sure, apparently she's a, a huge Phil Collins fan. Ugh. That's all I gotta say to that. Well. I can't, I can't even argue. How do you argue with somebody that likes Phil Collins? It's like trying to argue with somebody that, I don't know, likes blood sausage. What an odd comparison. Phil Collins is more metal than Kiss. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> all that right. is a lie and a farce. <laughs> all right, I think it's about that time. No, 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 we have one more thing. Oh, we do? Yeah, in a couple oh. weeks. I hope it's somebody else threatening to kill me with a nice shiv. <laughs> it just might be. <laughs> might be. <laughs> Lucy has a nice shiv. <laughs> oh, boy. So, uh, yeah, no, in a couple weeks on February 11th, we are going to be down in Bourbonnet, Illinois at LodgeCon. Going to be at the Will County? Yeah, Will County Fairgrounds. Yes? I forgot. Along with El DeBarge. Yes, El DeBarge <laughs> is going to be there. I don't think they're going to be there. Um, and no, we're going to be emceeing, hosting, we're going to be all sorts of cool stuff going on. It is, uh, gaming, fantasy gaming, miniatures gaming, all sorts. Yeah, Will County Fair Atrium in Piatone, Illinois. Doors open at 7, you can see us there, and, uh, yeah, should be a lot of fun. And it's actually Terrence Trent Darby who's performing. And watch us face off against our nemesis. That coin in the wishing well was worth it then. (laughs) (laughs) All right, yeah, no, it's completely that time now. This week in music, movies, and TV. All right, so this week we are going with the 22nd of September, 1964, episode one of The Man from Uncle, The Vulcan Affair. Not to be confused on where the doll touched, or I. Never mind. Anyway, music. What? <laughs> I was confused. I didn't see Mr. Spock anywhere. Ah. Oh. Uh, I was waiting for a bunch of tires. Ice rubber. No? Anyone? Oh, Vulcan. Music. Gotcha. <laughs> That's right. I was trying to make an Uncle Toucher epi- uh, joke. Anyway, the top songs in the land are The House of the Rising Sun by The Animals, Bread and Butter by The New Beats, and number one is Oh, Pretty Woman by Roy Orbison. That is a hell of a top three. Yeah, it is. And who doesn't like Pretty Woman? What a great! I've song. never been a. I mean, I like House of the Rising Sun, but I don't love it. Oh, I love it. It's probably my favorite of those three. What about Phil Collins' version, Pat? I could rotten <laughs> Hades hell butthole thing. <laughs> Hades hell butthole? What is that? Yeah, that's right. I mean that. Hades. It's Phil Collins' nickname. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know what he's talking about. I. No, it just came out. Don't ever, don't ever hold me accountable to the things I say. <laughs> I love that Pat's flailing. No way this can get any worse. And Joel's like, "Hold my beer." <laughs> I don't drink. Anyway, born on September twenty-sixth, Nikki French, British singer, known for terrible covers of great songs. Bonnie Tyler's "Total Eclipse of the Heart" was ripped off by French, reaching number one. Wait, that's what? her last name, Joel. Bonnie Nikki Tyler. French. Yeah. Oh, Bonnie Tyler's "Total Eclipse of the Heart" was ripped off by Nikki French. Reaching number five on the UK charts, her second single, a dance cover of the Carpenters' Fuck. Fuck. <laughs> no, dude, that's the acronym of the week. F-A-W-K. <laughs> Karen Carpenter just did the microphone. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> F-A-W-K, of course, was the strangely prophetic Fuck Andrew W-K. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> no. Why would you say that? <laughs> because it fit the acronym. Why wouldn't I? But he's a partier. How could you not like Andrew? He's a motivational speaker. 
and he wouldn't even be bored for another 15 years. I love Andy WK. Anyway, the uh, actual song, For All We Know, only reached number 42, hindered by poor distribution and a barcode error. Wait, what? <laughs> I, I thought since it was a Carpenter song, it was Fuck All White Kitchens. Fuck. Is this thing on? Yeah. We didn't mean it, Andrew WK. We like to party. <laughs> we like to uh, party. On September 17th, the Beatles were paid a then record high $150,000 for one concert. It was a rare day off for them on a U.S. tour, and their manager, Brian Epstein, negotiated the price from 60000 Holy crap, he's a good manager. <laughs> Take a stab in the dark as to how much each one of them made individually from that $150,000. Uh, uh, Twenty. Ringo made five dollars. <laughs> George and Ringo Paul. owed twenty-seven fifty. <laughs> Ringo and oh wait, George and Paul made a thousand, and the rest was. No, they all made an equal share. I'll tell you that it was under five thousand, forty-nine hundred and change. Really? Wow. Yeah. So he was a really good manager, as far as like, <laughs> as far as he was concerned. As far as he was concerned, yeah. This was well before they were, you know, able to negotiate their own deals and contracts, obviously. Wow. Nikki French should have hired him. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, country star Trisha Yearwood was born on September 19th. Wow. Yeah, I agree. All right. Moving on to movies. The top movie in the land is Mary Poppins, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. I still enjoy this movie. Me too. It's a fun movie. Yeah. It is. It's a good movie. They're making remaking it with The Rock. I don't care what they say. I, I love Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> the Rock as Mary Poppins. Yep. <laughs> Damn it, you beat me to it. <laughs> I was trying to think of the actress's name. Julie Andrews. It didn't come to me in time. Also this week, Crispin Glover was born on September 20th. Oh, I love that man. Clowny clown clown. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a great album. He is such a weird dude. Yeah, he is. And I don't think he's acting. Like when nope. he like, you know, like it was his weirdness when he's in interviews and shit. I don't think he's doing like a performance art kind of thing. I think he's the, I think the performance art guys are like copying him because he's the original just nutsoid uh, Hollywood semi. What I don't even know if I would call him a B lister, maybe a C lister. He just does what he wants, and he he does the occasional big budget movie so he can fund his little projects, and he's happy. He lives in a castle. Literally, I believe that. Literally, he, <laughs> he, he bought a castle and he lives in a castle. No joke. Yeah, he and Nicolas Cage should be best friends. Yeah, if Joel oh, told me he him. also entered his castle from a giant beanstalk, I would also believe that. <laughs> Hold on, let me go to Snopes and check that out. <laughs> uh, while you're doing that, we'll move on to say that on September 17th, Goldfinger, the third James Bond movie starring Sean Connery, premieres. Widely considered the template for the franchise, it was the first Bond film to win an Academy Award. Solidly one of my favorites. I was going to say, it's guy. It's in almost everybody's top three. Wait, what was the award for? Uh, sound editing. Hmm. Interesting. You know, as as much as I've I've enjoyed the Connery and Roger Moore films, I really like Daniel Craig as Bond. I do too. Oh yeah, I'm he's, not just yeah. He's Daniel a very Craig. different Bond. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's a not, different it, like it's like a different uh, different reality where James Bond just more kicking uh, ass. He's he's easily a more he's a more Americanized James Bond for sure. Well, and in some ways, his brutality is truer to the Ian Fleming stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's definitely true because it. I've never read any of it, but I've I've heard that they're excessively violent. 
as far as like they describe like how he kills everybody. Yeah, that would and be Crispin Glover as James Bond. <laughs> I like my martinis shaken, not stirred. He turned Dwayne, into a Phillips Dwayne the Rock Johnson as James Bond. With Crispin Glover as Odd Job. And you smell what the Bonds got cooking. Crispin Glover as Money Penny. <laughs> All right, I'm imagining Crispin Glover in drag, and I don't want to do that, so let's move on. Harpo Marx, known for being the silent brother in the Marx Brothers comedy team and for skill in playing many instruments, such as the obvious harp, then the piano, and many others. He also functioned as a courier delivering communication to the U.S. Embassy in Berlin under the guise of his performance tours where he was billed as something in Cyrillic, which is very (laughs) difficult. But he pronounced it as Exopno Mopcase. Harpo plucked his last today, passing at age 75, one day after heart surgery. You know, when I read that, it didn't occur to me that it's going to be very difficult. (laughs) Yeah, to read that out loud. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like there's something missing from that first sentence, like what it has to do with this week. He died, he died this he week. He died during the week, but no, the, the first sentence needs a – it has a setup, but it doesn't have a second half. Harpo Marx is known for blah, 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 and it didn't continue on. Gotcha, gotcha. But he – okay. Fuck you, grammar Nazis. What the hell? He, I wasn't even going to point it out, so he said something. No, I, I read the sentence. I was like, okay – Something seems wrong. Yeah, the pattern was off for you because you're feeling like there should be something going because known for this did this and the did this never came. Fair enough. I think you subconsciously picked up on it, but you didn't know what it was. Are you done? Who, Pat? Uh, All all hail the semicolon. He's never done. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Why would you ask me that? 37 tabs later, he's still going. I wonder why my computer's running funny. <laughs> All right, so TV. The top shows in the land are Bonanza, Bewitched, Gomer Pyle, USMC, and The Andy Griffith Show. That's a weird little grab bag right there. <laughs> right? <laughs> what, seems, what a slice of Americana that is. We got it a, seems like we've been doing a lot of the mid-60s, because Gomer Pyle, USMC, has been showing up in the tweet a lot the yeah. last few months. But we've got a Western, oh, a, move, a show with a witch, Gomer Pyle, and Andy Griffith. And Andy Griffith, you don't you don't get much more like uh, Americana than that, yeah. Yeah, the, the the stereotypical like if if you think of what life was, you know, like when you look back with your rose colored glasses, when everybody thinks about the you know the the whole Make America Great Again movement, everybody thinks that everybody would live in like Andy Griffith, <laughs> because that is the most vanilla, peaceful, nice, good morals show that there is. Like anybody's only going to have one bullet. <laughs> And Andy doesn't even have any. He doesn't even have a gun. Andy doesn't need a bullet. He can talk anybody down. <laughs> right? Why don't you sit right down here? We'll have Andy some. And B just made some pie, and we can have some coffee. We can talk this out. <laughs> he will out decent any bad person. <laughs> <laughs> you can shoot at him. You're just going to feel really bad about it. <laughs> oh, I'm so disappointed that you tried to kill me. <laughs> Andy Dwayne Griffith and <laughs> Andy Griffith and Mr. Rogers together in a cop show. They would just be like. <laughs> It's it's good cop, better cop. <laughs> Sweater justice. <laughs> I want to see Dwayne the Rock Johnson as Andy Griffith and Crispin Glover as Barney Fife. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you? All right, so this is the first season that NBC showed more than fifty percent of their shows in color, and they were also the first network to do so. I thought that was an interesting fact. Right? That is an interesting fact. 
Especially considering that the uh, shows that we watched today were all in black and white. Tonight on Sweater Justice. <laughs> so anyway. Put him in the comfy chair. <laughs> you're mixing your metaphors again. <laughs> Bewitched, starring Elizabeth Montgomery as a domesticated suburban witch. Like, what the hell does that mean, domesticated suburban witch? It's like she's a pet or something? <laughs> no, Is, she's just not like your typical live-in-a-cave, stir a cauldron full of... Not like those I, city witches. Witches live in caves? Well, three of them do, at least. <laughs> oh. In right. Shakespeare, they do. Yeah. Well, it's broadcast for the first time on ABC on September 17th. On September 18th, The Adams Family premieres, adding to more of the weirdness. <laughs> then Holly Elizabeth Robinson Pete was born September 18th. She is an American actress and singer, best known for her roles as Judy Hoffs on 21 Jump Street and Vanessa yes. Russell on Hanging with Mr. Cooper. She no. also served as one of the original co-hosts of the CBS daytime talk show, The Talk. Maybe. What? You said yes and no, so oh. talk is a maybe. I guess that's all we have to say about Holly Elizabeth Robinson-Pete. Moving on. To sports. I was looking her up. I couldn't figure out who she was. Uh, you couldn't? What? Kind of American are you? One who doesn't know who Holly Elizabeth Robinson Pete is. Yeah, I was going to say, I know I watched 21 Jump Street, but I I was not exactly a huge fan of Hanging with Mr. Cooper. What? What? I like 21 Jump Street so much, I even watched the Greco years. Wait, did you just defend Hanging with Mr. Cooper? He did. And my argument falls apart because I was going to make a joke about the lead actor, but I can't even remember his name, so... It's what you get when you get... Jesus. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, what? I was going to say, there you go, audience. You get what you pay for right there. <laughs> what the hell is it? Why can't I think of his name? Mark uh, at whatever. Sports. On. Mark at whatever? Yeah, I'm, I don't really hey, care. Enough. Mark at whatever. I don't really care enough to be talking about it even this much, much less trying to figure out what it is. Ooh, on. Bill Cosby could be the villain on Sweater Justice. <laughs> <laughs> well played. <laughs> I like it. That's great. Now somebody else has and to the, do sports. And the theme song, the theme song, of course, would be Weezer, the sweater song. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I think we got something here. I do. I'm sketching. I'm sketching the uh, ad for it right now. <laughs> I, uh, sweater justice, right after Soul Ghost. <laughs> On September 27th, in sports, in the All Ireland Senior Football Championship final, Galway defeated Kerry. It is the first of three All-Ireland football titles won by Galway in the 1960s, making them joint team of the decade with Down, who also won three. Now you know. There you go. <clears throat> Not quite cricket, but I'll take it. Yeah. It was all I could find, yeah. so It's cricket adjacent. On September 17th, Mickey Mantle gets his hits number 1,999, 2,000, and 2,001. And his 450th home run in the same game. Jesus. <laughs> Good God. That's Mickey Mantle. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Even people that don't know anything about sports know who Mickey Mantle is. Or was, rather. <laughs> All right. On September 21st, the Cincinnati Reds' Chico Ruiz pulls a rare feat and steals home, leading the Reds to beating the Philadelphia Phillies 1-0. to and it kind of puts the Phillies in a tailspin, and they start a 10-game losing streak that gives the St. Louis Cardinals the pennant. Cops shot him in a parking lot later. He stole home. Wow, dude. Tonight on Sweater Justice. <laughs> that's not, that's gonna, not going to work every time, man. <laughs> you got yeah, well. diminishing returns on Sweater Justice. 
So, closing music, Joel. Da, 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 da. All right. Then, well, the main show first. We watched The Man from Uncle. We did. Yes, we did. And, uh. Would I that com- be my cousin? You- no. How long have you been waiting to tell that joke? I, I just thought of it because I couldn't make my, uh, Uncle Toucher joke, so I had to improvise. All right. So, this is originally created by <laughs> Sam Rolf, who was also responsible for Have Gun Will Travel. Uh, consisted of 105 episodes, screened between 64 and 68. And their enemy was Thrush, which I think is a really weird acronym for a villain group. Yeah, and they originally were concerned that uh, Thrush was too close to Smirsh, which was the... <laughs> what? Smirsh. That, that's a Bond, that's that's, a bond uh, group. Yeah. S-M-E-R-S-H. Smirsh. <laughs> <laughs> when Pat's drunk, he's like, give me a smosh. <laughs> I know you're telling the truth, Josh. I will defend you. <laughs> yes. How am I unaware of that acronym? Oh, uh, yeah. It, not only was it in uh, Bond, but apparently it was uh, a real Soviet department. It was an acronym. Basically, when you translate... I was just about to, to say, yeah. Sorry. When you translate death to spies into Russian and then make it an acronym, it comes out as Smirsh. Yeah, it has to be an act, yeah, foreign, like CCCP kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And speaking of like the weird, like things, it's the Sam Rolf guy. Hafgun will travel is a pretty far off thing from this. I mean, Western to spy show? Well, they wanted to capitalize on the bond popularity they even got ian fleming to develop the characters of napoleon solo and i think there was one other there was a uh, uh female there was a uh the girl from uncle yeah from the spinoff <clears throat> and it caused a huge legal problem where they weren't even sure they were going to be able to premiere the show right so <clears throat> but yeah so anyway uh thrush was eventually described they don't really talk too much about it in the episode first season but uh other than it being a very you know the uh, this, uh group so evil that all the countries in the world get together to try and shut them down but it's the technological hierarchy for the removal of undesirables and the subjugation of humanity that's what happens when you come up with the acronym first yep so, and it was supposedly founded by colonial Sa- sebastian moran after professor moriarty died at Re- reichenbach falls in the sherlock holmes story which is kind of weird. But uh, the ones that we watched, and it actually carried across to all the episodes, is that there was they described it as an Alice in Wonderland type of thing, where you'd have something would happen in the spy world, and a person from the everyday, run, run-of-the-mill, everyday life would get pulled out of that and thrown into the spy world for that one episode. Yeah, the innocent that you'd see in any given episode of Man from Uncle almost reminded me of like a one-shot version of Doctor Who's Companion. Yeah, I could see that. Real quick, um, I, they mentioned it in one of the episodes I watched. I don't remember which one now, but I didn't see it in the notes here. Everybody that sees it, Uncle, as an acronym, wonders what it stands for, I would think. Well, and <clears throat> okay, they in the movie. I mean, in the in the uh, in the show, everybody just kind of seems to know about that. It's like everybody well, they, they, they said to. what it stood for in one of the episodes. Yeah, United Network Command for Law and Enforcement. Yeah, that was in episode two, the one with the the frogmen jumping out of wells in Iowa. Right. Which somehow Which made way more sense than it sounds. <laughs> it would have to. 
I was just reading on a, <clears throat> another site here that they said it was originally it was supposed to be United Nations Command for Law Enforcement mm-hmm. um, that Ian Fleming suggested, but they couldn't get permission. That's when they changed it. Yeah, I think it was less they didn't get permission. They didn't want to. Bo- they didn't want to try. <laughs> probably <laughs> like ah, we probably just leave them alone. But uh, so they kind of set off a trigger of spy shows. So in '64, it was the only American spy show in the U.S. By '66, there were nearly a dozen. And it's weird because, and you're about to get into this point, just like seeing the first season versus seeing later seasons, it's almost not even the same show. They, they started going well with the, with the, um, popularity of Batman. When Batman came out, they started to almost try to emulate it and get um, like self, self conscious, not self conscious. What am I talking about? Super campy. Yeah. Self deprecating. Not self-deprecating, self-aware. Ah. Yeah, they kind of got self-aware, self-parody, and they got stranger and stranger to the point where the, well, one of the, the naming thing for all the shows was it was always an affair. And they wound up with the Yukon affair in season two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yukon affair was season two. Then they had the Indian affairs affair. And then the My Friend the Gorilla affair, when which Solo dances with a gorilla. Yeah. And then they realized that they were like, what the hell happened? Uh, v- viewership dropped and they tried to go for a fourth season, but they, you know, they just couldn't do it. And they were canceled midway through the season. The shark jumping affair. Yeah. <laughs> it, and it's kind of evidence that like, uh, my father was a fan of this show and it's kind of evident what happened because he even talked about how, you know, he liked it when it first started and it got pretty bad by the time it was done. Mm hmm. And it had a ton of different guest stars in this one. You got, you had, Joel, you joked about not seeing Spock anywhere, but, uh, William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy have both had, uh, spots on this show. Uh, Ricardo Monteblan, um, Sonny and Cher, James Hong, Leslie Nielsen, Slim Pickens, Vincent Price, Kurt Russell, and Rip Torn have all been on this show. And in one of the episodes I watched, Jill Ireland, uh, later to be Mrs. Charles Bronson was in an episode. I believe that was episode two. Two. Yeah, and you can in the in episode one, uh, Jaws was in it. Richard Keel. Yeah, which was awesome. He was so tall and skinny back then. Yeah, you he only saw him for a as... moment though. But I didn't recognize him anywhere. No, he was he he. All he did is he took a swing at Robert Vaughn, and that was it. It wasn't well, like he, he was a heavy or anything. Oh, he, was he one of the two guys that got knocked out? No, he was in a whole episode. He uh, got. He was? Uh, they arrested him at the end of one of them. They got in a big oh, fight. There must have been one that I missed because I know in the very first one, he's he's just like a random thug. No, this is one where there's um. Uh, in the pilot that I watched, I didn't notice him at all. No, yeah, I think he was one of the guys in the scene where they're running around the power plant. Yeah, they're on uh, the roof of the power plant. I didn't. I, watched, I didn't catch. Yeah, I didn't catch it with him. I watched <laughs> a, a later episode. Of, let me see if I still have it. Um, oh crap, I don't. And he was like dressed up and like he looked like a longshoreman. But they, every time the guys would try to fight him, he was just like, ha, 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 ha. And hmm. eventually gets laid out in the end and arrested. But, yeah, he was in a whole episode later. Hmm. Yeah, so uh, this is uh, starring Robert Vaughn as Napoleon Solo, known for other stuff as being uh, in the movie Bullet. Uh, One Life to Live. He was in The Magnificent Seven. Uh, just Hustle, the TV series. There was one. He was in Superman... Two or three? Which one was one with Richard Pryor? He was in three. He was in three, yeah. Yeah. He played the villain in uh, Superman 3. 
Uh, also, David McCollum is Ilya. Kr- oh, how did you go through Robert Vaughn and not mention the A team? Oh shit! I'm sorry. And the A team. <laughs> say it's Colonel Decker. <clears throat> yeah. Who? <laughs> Don't make it worse. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I got you, Joel. Or at least IMDb does. Richard Keel, in addition to being uncredited in the Vulcan affair, the episode that featured him was the Hong Kong shilling affair. Yep, I posted it in the chat a minute before you said that. Okay. Uh, yeah, because I watched, I, cause like the ones that I got, I couldn't get to work all the way through, so I only saw like half of each of the first two episodes. Um, so this one actually played the whole way through, so I, uh, that's actually the one I watched the whole thing. Right. So, uh, David McCollum is Kuryakin. Kuryakin. Ilya Kuryakin, who, uh, is still out there. Uh, he was been on uh, NCIS as Donald Mallard. You know, that TV series has been on NCIS, uh, New Orleans, uh, in the Batman and Robin, uh, animations. He does the voice of Alfred Pennyworth and also does voices for such, uh, animated TV shows as Ben 10 and, uh, Wonder Woman does voices in video games and that sort of thing. So. Yeah, my, my father started watching NCIS simply because David McCallum played Ducky and it became one of his favorite shows. Really? Oh, weird. He played the same guy in the TV show Jag too. Well, and uh, he also, a network executive, wanted to fire him right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Of yeah. this show? You're talking about- oh, yeah, yeah. They uh, Basically, the only reason he didn't get fired after the pilot was because the network executive was not clear about uh, who he wanted kicked off the show and said, I don't know, his name starts with a K. <laughs> yeah, and there was somebody else, one of the other, uh, hang on. It was like the actor's name started with a K, and they kicked him off instead. Yeah, I just lost it. Anyway, uh, but yeah, there was it was a K, and there, there, there was the beginning of the of the the, the end for Cato Kalen, <laughs> and also Leo G. Carroll and his huge face, <laughs> um, <laughs> as Alexander Waverly as pretty much the you know Q. Uh, I got it, Pat. It was Andrew W. K. <laughs> I don't know who this guy is or if he's been born yet, but I don't want him touching this show. <laughs> uh, fuck that guy. Oh, so, All he does is party. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Leo G. Carroll for uh, also North by Northwest, Strangers on a Train, Spellbound. Um, lasting, <gasps> yeah, lots of great oh. stuff that needed somebody with a huge face. I could not place, when you guys were talking about David McCallum and NCIS, when I was watching the show, I didn't place who he was, and I just looked him up because I'm like, "Who was he on NCIS?" And I'm like, "He was Ducky." Oh my gosh! Yeah, I feel like a big corner, mm-hmm. right? He so, was terrible on Man from Uncle. Well, I thought it was pretty decent. Was, I mean, it's difficult to compare him, although we're going to, yeah, <laughs> the Russian <laughs> and the new one. But I, I, I should say, not difficult, but maybe not fair. Yeah, it's just his character was very what? flat. Well, well, nobody nobody knew what Russians acted like back then. I mean, that was part of the problem. They're like, all anybody had was, I mean, it, it, imagine trying to, like, write for a North Korean right now. Like, if you wrote a, a sitcom or anything about, you know, a guy living with a North Korean, how would you write a North Korean? First, they're Probably wearing horribly sweaters. horribly racist. Yeah, and that's kind of how, like, you know, like, you know they, they got Ilya running around, like, you know, loving vodka and communism all the time. <laughs> she doesn't? He. He doesn't? So anyway, one of the things, <laughs> Jesus Christ, uh, access to Uncle Headquarters was made through Del Flores Tailor Shop, which, if any of you guys ever watch uh, Archer, 
ISIS's yep. entrance comes through a tailor shop. So there's yep. all sorts of little nods. You know, this this is actually and for the, his, King, the Kingsman too. They do it. Yeah, the they're yeah. It's another another nod to that. But it's a it's a British spy trope. Yeah, and then every two part episode in the series was then made into a movie. So they really? initially were released in Europe, and later they came on American TV. But uh, additional footage was shot along with the TV show stuff. So they had like to trap a spy. Uh, was was another one with uh, Robert Vaughn and Luciana Paluzzi. Yeah, I thought to trap a spy was the uh, movie version of the pilot. Yes, but then it gets a little weirder because the which one was it? The uh, one of our spies is missing. I think is the one where they start introducing aliens to it. Like uh, outer space aliens? Yeah, outer space aliens. Like what? No, I'm not kidding. Yeah, so someone is someone is using <laughs> cats and experiments to develop a machine that can reverse the aging process. That's, it gets stupid eventually. Yeah, it does. yeah. They start trying to turn into the the, the X Files before the X Files were around. <laughs> we like the Niet Files. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> Should run with that. Don't. It's not really a great title because that just means the No Files. So. Well, that sounds like hey, sounds I good in no. It, I mean, it actually makes sense. Hey, I heard about these aliens. No. Well, all right. Yet. I won't. I won't talk well, about that. So. By that rationale, you're saying that if somebody said, hey, I heard about these aliens in America, it would be proper to go, X. Sure. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that, yes. Yeah, it makes as much yeah. sense as anything else. <laughs> You'll leave everyone hungry for some sweater justice. <laughs> All right. So, See, it still works. I, I was waiting for Joel. I was like, come on, dude. This is your moment. <laughs> so how many episodes of these do we watch per? I watch, about, I watch like three of them, yeah. Yeah, about I got three. the I got the pilot only. It was a busy week. Joel, I said three. Yeah. Oh, all right then. So, uh, outside of the weird introductions, now Pat, you yeah. only saw the pilot. It was kind of so, so they did that every every week. They had a new innocent person that came along every week. Yeah, yeah. That was a shtick: is that they'd bring someone who has a mundane life, and they'd get wrapped up in the world of international intrigue. Huh. Right. So. I didn't. I didn't really care for it in the pilot. I was like, "This is kind of really stupid." But if that's like the premise, then I can. I get. I can get behind that a little more. I was because the whole time I'm watching, it, I'm like, "Why would you like not even train this woman and like just throw her in the middle of all this and give her all these national secrets and do all this kind of crap?" And she's just like some fucking woman. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's the gimmick is like yeah, they're like they contrive a reason why this person either is in the wrong place or the wrong time or has a unique set of knowledges or skills or relationship to someone where they're needed to make the investigation go smoothly. Yeah. yeah. This okay, guy's now, a- now that I understand that that's the premise of it's a little better. Okay. Yeah, not- Even though it never goes smoothly, they're always captured and yeah. They really killed. must have some hella insurance. Right. To be able to do that sort of thing. <laughs> This guy may be trying to take over another country by assassinating its president. I know who we need. His college girlfriend. <laughs> Wait, what? Somebody call when, Prudential. Make sure we got this covered. And when it all goes horribly wrong and we're both captured, I will shoot and or punch my way out. <laughs> right. Which begs the question why he didn't go with shooting and or punching his plan A. How powerful are his legs that he can break apart pipes? Like... Do do does anyone out there understand how sturdy pipes are like in a furnace room? Yes, many people do. Uh, we were watching that first one, and, and Sophie's like, "That's going to take forever." 
Well, I mean, the fact that he wasn't, he was like barely like, eh, eh. Yeah, he was. Eh. <laughs> I, and, like, dude, you're never going to do shit. And my thought was, those things are bouncing so much. Why don't you just go on one of the, one of the joists and just like bounce on that until it yeah, snaps? Exactly. I, was, I thought he was just going to go to one of the, yeah, one of the corners and just, you know, and yeah, put, some, put some serious pressure on that. No, he was just going to like tap on it until it finally just decided, okay, we're done. And the thing he's gonna, is, he's going to Chinese water torture the pipes. <laughs> he's, he's, <laughs> Trying to break the pipe out, and the fr- this is in the pilot. They're both been chained. The girlfriend and him have been chained to the top of this pipe. They're hanging there, and he kicks this pipe open. And I'm thinking to myself, it's a good thing that wasn't like, like hot water <laughs> coming. Yeah, that, that's the scalding hot water yeah. leading to the steaming water. Because yeah, when the pipe good. broke, he fell down, and the water shot out and hit the girlfriend square in the face. I'm just like, <laughs> that would have been a really weird ending if that had been the wrong pipe. The director's like, yes. <laughs> Okay, so do we want to try? Do we, I guess we don't need to go through a whole plot then, since we. No, 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 no. We're, I mean, we're talking about the feel of the whole movie itself. I mean, the whole the whole show itself. First off, you're right; it's very much set into the we're we're against the Russians, but no one really knew what a Russian was. <laughs> we just don't like them. Well, and I thought it was interesting that they decided to have a Russian as his partner, and uh, that character proved uh, popular enough that they expanded, and you got to see more and more of him as the first season went on, mm-hmm. at a time where everyone was afraid of the Soviet Union nuking us. Yeah, it, it was almost like you know how Star Trek did it, too, with Sulu. It's like, you know, the idea that the media or that the show or whatever was putting forth that maybe all Russians aren't evil... <laughs> Well, I think part of it was to emphasize how evil Thrush was. This yes. is this this group is so evil. We're teaming They're, up with the Russians. Yeah, we have to we have to partner up with the with with the enemy just to defeat them because the enemy of our enemy or the friend of our enemy. Don't go down that alley. Friends don't know and, and don't don't. Someone enemy, put Pat out of his misery. Our <laughs> enemy, got a friend in me. Our, our enemies watch Friends. It's been lost, Josh. We're gone. <laughs> <laughs> gone down that rabbit hole. Well, thank God they did, because otherwise we wouldn't have Mila Jovovich. Well, she would probably still exist, but not here. Anyway, you're saying a friend. An enemy. So I was saying the enemies of your enemies. Friend. Don't stop <laughs> asking him things, <laughs> Josh. What's your take? Uh, you know, I I kind of like this uh, until you get to the later stuff, and it just gets weird. And it, it was so weird. Normally. I would see decent, if a little cheesy spy show and then watch a later season and have it turn into this crazy thing that makes get smart, look serious. (laughs) And I'd want to go back and watch to see how that happened. But now that I learned that from the beginning, it was kind of a cash grab to capitalize on bond. And they were like, Oh, uh, stupid, funny stuff is good. Let's just do that. I'm kind of glad I didn't waste any time seeing the rapid downfall. Yeah, I I didn't go any further than the first season. And it was kind of, I mean, it is, I don't say a template or distilled. It's just really clean. The bad guys are definitely the bad guys. The good guys are definitely the good guys. There's no question about where people's alliances lay. Um, and if we were talking before the show that's... Uh, or during the truck, this world where you can just walk onto an airplane with a pistol in your handbag <laughs> because you're a spy. So I could never get a pistol in my handbag on the airplane. That's because you only carry a clutch. 
You need a bigger bag. <laughs> but no, I mean, I enjoy it. I only it. carry what I can fit in my rectum. Damn near killed them. Um, well, the whole thing had a weird feel to it. I mean, but then again, it was the 60s. My my, fa- my favorite scene from the pilot was uh, when when the guys are trying, at the very beginning, when they're doing the break-in, they get past the guards, they do this, they get the, their little gas, and so they get through. And then the major piece of uh, of of spy technology, anti-spy technology they have is a pane of glass that Napoleon stands behind. So he shoots it and shoots it and shoots it until he realizes that he can't really shoot Napoleon. And then the big move is Napoleon just runs around the outside of the room and comes and shoots the guy, the other guy. That is something weird that this one really didn't. I mean, the episodes that I saw, there weren't a whole heck of a lot of gadgets. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, you look in the second episode, you had both the well-ahead-of-its-time mini Polaroid, and then you had his iconic weird pistol. It had a specific name, but I didn't watch enough episodes to get what the deal was with it, but he was assembling it in the grain silo in that second episode. That's right, with with uh, with the stock and everything on it. Right, and he also had, through many of the episodes, the wireless communicator that sort of looked like a pack of cigarettes. Yeah. It was kind of like a walkie-talkie slash cell phone. See, I, I was just was I was expecting a lot more of like wrist lasers and you know stuff that blew up. I mean, like the te- pen bombs. Yeah, pen bombs and that sort of thing. Like the, in the second or third episode, things that blow up into life rafts. Yes. Wait, what? <laughs> We've got I've got a hairpin that turns into a sweater. Um, <laughs> In the, in the second, or second or third episode, uh, there's, uh, Ileana's in a, Ilya is in a, uh, in an apartment where they're trying to protect this girl from this gas that makes you afraid of everything. So what is his, oh. his, did any of you watch this one? I did. Yeah. His, his bomb disposal techniques are as such, open the box slowly to see if anything happens. <laughs> that, that's it. It's, and if it blows up, well, we're done here. Yeah, he's just like, well, this could be dangerous. And then he starts to slowly open the box, and I'm like, dude, isn't there, don't you have like a pocket x-ray or something to spray he, on it? Open it? He just looks at it and goes, whew, good thing that worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, then yep. it doesn't. They also had very different uh, ways of impersonating. You'd have Napoleon Solo would always just bullshit his way through whatever character he was trying to portray, where Ilya had wacky disguises. Mm-hmm. Just an observation from watching episodes. Do you guys remember that? Um, oh, I can't remember the name of it. It was a um, it was a Clint Eastwood movie where he was supposed to be a master of disguise. Clint Eastwood? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember it. Was, it was horrible. And like every single time he was in disguise, I'm like, that looks like Clint Eastwood wearing a big mustache. The Line of Fire? No. It was after the, in the line of fire. It was like the very next movie or one or two movies after that. But yeah, really, really bad. Every, every I mean, and that's kind of how I imagine uh, Robert Vaughn would look in disguise. Just like, oh look, there's Robert Vaughn with a mustache. <laughs> I do not remember this movie. Yeah, that's the thing is that Robert Vaughn. Josh is completely correct. Robert Vaughn be like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sneak onto the boat. I'm going to get the hostage back and then punch everybody on my way out. <laughs> And that's that's literally what happens. I mean, it's what's and, your escape plan? I will beat my way out. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's just him, you know. Robert Vaughn sneaks in and punches everybody. 
you know, or, or, you know, if he has time to assemble his gun, start shooting everyone. But, uh, I got to watch, I watched the one with Slim Pickens, where he turns out to be a, a Russian, uh, what are they, they're like drilling for, I forgot what they were drilling for. They were trying, that, the one with Slim Pickens, they were trying to get into tunnels that were adjacent to an Air Force base where oh. there was a bomber and an H-bomb, so they could nuke the government in South America and just walk in and take over. Right. It's kind of a dumb plan. Says you. He did. He just said it. Oh, all right. Well done then. <laughs> so yeah. So, but no, I think I think like you said, Josh, this is definitely like a, a time capsule type show. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, that's. I cut it a lot of slack because, in a lot of ways, it was a building block of what we think of as modern spy fiction. Mm-hmm. I mean, and like we said, this is you know in sixty in sixty four this one came out, and within four years there were a dozen more shows. So <clears throat> that's I mean it just shows that they were kind of groundbreaking on this. I'm trying to remember some other things about it that stuck out in my head, but it was kind of I not other than the the terrible name of Napoleon Solo. That's that's like a, a fourth graders literature project. I'm going to write this character called Napoleon Solo. Yeah, that is. It'd be like naming your your spy Max Powers. Hey, I know That's Max good. Powers. I know, and then it sounds like such a bad made up name. Yeah, but nobody would ever expect a spy to be actually named Max Powers. To be like, I'm Max Powers, and be like, Oh no, you're not a spy. There's no way that. Oh yeah, well you're kicking my ass. Of course you are. <laughs> if that kid doesn't gr- grows up to be like some kind of like I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> a, a Walmart cashier meth addict. That's going to be so sad with that name. No, he's he's taking MMA lessons right now. <laughs> oh my gosh! He actually came around. He actually came around. Now, for those of you that don't know, I have a neighbor whose kid is actually literally named Max Powers, and he is exactly what you would expect from a little boy named Max Powers. But he came around last Halloween, and he was trick or treating with his friends from uh, the school that he goes to now. And I was just like yelling across the street, "You look so cool in your costume!" And one kid turns to him and goes, "Is that your dad?" <laughs> just like, no, just a fan. No, just keep walking. Keep walking, Uncle. So. But no, I mean, I like, I like the idea, you know, with using the whole, um, uh, affair thing. You know, I think that's a cool little thing, a uh, way of just, you know, uh, naming everybody, you know, naming all the shows. Uh, the thing I didn't get is that they had chapters or act, act one, old man in a well, you know, that sort of thing. There was, it was divvied up into, uh, different acts within the show that they had announced uh, over the uh, commercial breaks. I mean, tell me the rest of you had that. No, I totally, yeah, it was yeah, yeah. almost reminiscent mm-hmm. of, like, a murder mystery. Mm-hmm. I think that's just a very 60s stylistic type thing. Yeah. Early storytelling, they weren't exactly sure how to, like, plot out a movie without actually literally plotting it out. I don't know. That's just a guess. And how about that Robert Vaughn? <laughs> he, I thought he was awesome. <laughs> he was great, but he, he was like James Bond, only a little more rapey. Whoa. That's saying something, man. James Bond is very rapey. Yeah. Yeah, just like a moon raper. Oh, dude. What? No? No. Okay. So how about that Robert Vaughn? <laughs> You're going to make me Richard Keel over. Oh, nice. Thank you. That's good. You're good. You're one Don't for one. encourage him. We encourage Stop you. talking about the enemy of my enemy as my friend again. <laughs> my... My friend's enemy befriends my enemy and becomes my 
an enemy. Becomes an enemy. <laughs> now, here's a question Let's for Let's just you. go to the break. Now, wait, wait. I have one more question. Did it seem to you that Vaughn had, like, no real clue what was going on? In general, his plans were not great. I, aside from, like, being solid with a gun and with his fist, he was kind of a shitty spy. Yeah, I mean, there was no real secrecy about anything that he did. And he, you know, he would jump, you know, he'd jump in feet first. Oh, I'm sneaking around. Oh, someone discovered. He's, it was like playing, uh. He, he's like a Shadowrun character, basically. Yeah. You're sneaky, sneaky, sneaky until you get discovered and then shoot everything. You know, it's like. <laughs> oh, jigs, jigs up. Let's just blow the place up. <laughs> yeah. And my half-assed plan did not survive first contact with the enemy. Well, it was like in the Shanghai affair when there's the people are in trouble in in the room that he's been kind of spying to kind of keep an eye on how things are going down. Things start to go south and he tries to bust in through the window unsuccessfully, ends up going in feet first and kind of bungles his way through the rescue. So I know you're exactly right. Although I do love him escaping from a gas, a bathroom that's filling with poison gas by uh, taking his shaving cream, <laughs> wrapping it in a towel, dumping aftershave all over it, and then lighting it on fire and exploding the door off its hinges. That was some MacGyver level. Yeah, that was under that- pressure engineering. Oh. All right, here, here's a new lens. Which, watch this show. Imagine that this is just a prequel to Get Smart, and you're watching the the decline of Napoleon Solo, Solo into Maxwell Smart. I don't know. Maxwell Smart was a he was clueless, but he was a little bit better than this sometimes. I mean, it's like <laughs> after after he blows the door off, there's a knock at a knock at the door, and it's this girl like this that's from this like corn cornhick town, and she's like, "Oh, I just wanted to," and he's like, "Oh, I just had this little accident here where my door blew clean off the hinges. Pay no attention to that." <laughs> it was just like it's Taco Tuesday. My bad. <laughs> um. Oh, I see what you did there. Did any of you get to the third episode? What? Did you get to the third episode? No, I only watched the pilot. I And I jumped seasons before the third. Oh, third, third episode? Harry Mudd is in it. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's, there's no, I mean, there's absolutely no change in him whatsoever. He's still got the handlebar mustache. They just changed his clothes. <laughs> so, but yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, like I said, it's a, it's a little time capsule of, American TV discovering how to do a spy show. Yeah, it was entertaining. I mean, that's uh, it's not something that I would actively want to watch all of it, but it was entertaining. Yeah, I could see putting it on every now and then. Yeah. Shall we break? Let's break. I must break you. Rocky Four. <laughs> very good, Pat. That's Thank not you. what we're talking about, but very good. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for clarifying. Yeah. I earned a cookie. All right, we are back, and we are going to talk about the 2015 Guy Ritchie-directed version of The Man from U.N.C.L.E. So this one is, well, it's actually been put together as an origin story for for U.N.C.L.E. and how Napoleon Solo and Ilya got together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Star- and Gabby. And Gabby. Well, no, well, Gabby... It, it, basically... By the end, the way they ended it, they've they've decided that three of them are going to work together. Yeah, That's true. but it, I mean, if it's supposed to be the pickup where like the origin story of them, that, then it's I guess maybe it's a reset because there wasn't like I, I watched this before I watched 
the TV show. So and, did I, yeah. Yeah, and I was expecting I there to be a female lead. Same here. Yeah. So, but this was the first time that I watched it. So, uh, early 1960s, CIA agent Napoleon Solo and KGB operative Ileana Kuryakin participate in a joint mission against a mysterious criminal organization, which is working to proliferate nuclear weapons. Starring, well, not starring, but directed and written by Guy Ritchie and Lionel Wigram. Uh, I put him in here because he's done some stuff we know about. Hmm. What would yeah. that be? That would be uh, King. Well, upcoming movie that he's doing, the uh, King Arthur: Legend of the Sword, is oh, yeah, okay. coming up. A cool looking poster. I'll give it that. Yeah, he did uh, Sherlock Holmes. He was a producer for that. Uh, he also was a producer for Fantastic Beasts and the new Fantastic Beasts Two. It's coming out in two years. Uh, Seventh Son. He's got some good and bad. I mean, he's got like. Ex- producer pr- pr- of a bunch of Harry Potter ones, but then there's like, uh, what was it? The Legend of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahul, which sounds a lot stupider than it actually was. It actually was pretty good, but slow, but... slow, but good. Yeah. Been better than your average kids animal. Oh, he partially wrote the, the Sherlock Holmes, uh, Robert Downey Jr. movie. Yeah. That was, you, that was you obviously have not seen Milo and Otis. You think all animal movies are slow. I've seen Milo does Otis. I think that's tab 39. So also, uh, this is starring <laughs> Superman, Superman, Henry Cavill, Napoleon Solo, Army Hammer, which is a great Lone name. Ranger. It's a great name. Right. Uh, as Ileana Karyakin, Alicia Vikander, which I think they should have just left Ex- her regular Machina. name. F- yeah, she's awesome. She is awesome. I haven't seen Ex Machina in that. Oh my God, it's so good. I... I want to see it. I haven't seen. You need to see it for Oscar Isaac alone, let alone everything else that's badass in that movie. Now, specifically, one of my kids wants to see it. No. Okay, that's what I thought. (laughs) (laughs) No, not for kids. As we're browsing through it, she's like, "What is that?" It's like, "Oh, it looks like some sort of like like AI movie." And that she goes, "Oh, that looks really cool." I'm like, "I got to find out more about it first." There's violence and a lot of full frontal nudity. Okay. So uh, Pat will be watching it. Yeah, Pat's got another tab up. <laughs> Moving up the list. <laughs> so Elizabeth Debicki as Victoria Vinigrette. Vinigrette. <laughs> yes, Elizabeth as Victoria Vinigrette. <laughs> and Luca Calvini as Alexander Vinigrette. Uh, Sylvester Groth as Uncle Rudy. Now, trying to figure out where I had initially seen him uh, in uh, Inglorious Bastards. Oh, you're right. Joseph Gables. Oh. Yeah. Oh, and he plays a lot of Russian characters. Like for some in reason. Deutschland 83, he plays Walter Schweppenstedt. <laughs> and <laughs> Bukow and Koenig. <laughs> no, it's not. He, Bukow and Koenig, he plays Hauptkommissar Jochen Drexler. So, yeah, he's got a lot... And then he's, his latest 2017 filming, it's In Zieten des Abendheimen Licht. I don't know what that means. It means salt. No, it does not. <laughs> and then that's sneaking a, that's in. That's a German language joke, sir. Uh, Hugh Grant. I love Hugh Grant. And he yeah. was great in this, by the way. He, he was. was great in this. And uh, Jared Harris. Jared oh. Harris is the man in fucking everything he's in. Oh, my God. Him in uh, Fringe. Uh, and if you haven't watched The Expanse, you're doing nothing better with your life. Just mm. go watch it. That's on my everything, list. Everything he's in, I agree. Always good. Yeah. Who? Jared Harris. 
I was I was just making a joke, Joel. Shut up. Yeah, he plays a great villain, but can be and like in this, I mean, he's he's got two sides of the same coin. He can be the villain. He can be the uh, uh, the hero on the hero side too. But I th- I like him better as a villain. Yeah, or at least a character with a little bit of dirt on him. Like right. he always has this intelligent but vaguely dangerous for mm-hmm. a man his age thing going on. Yeah. Like in Zeiten des Eibenmachen Licht is uh, in times of decreasing light. So when it's starting to get dark out, I guess. Yeah. Oh, he was he was in also in uh, Lady in the Walk- Water as Goatee Smoker. He's like a uh, like a like a tougher version of Donald Logue. He's the one that started the uh, the end of the world in uh, Resident Evil. Yeah, I always thought Jared Harris was uh, related to oh the guy who played Hannibal. Mm. Uh, I'm just blanking on his name. Anthony for Hopkins. No, no, no. Uh, Mads, Mads, the show? Mads Mickelson. Yeah. yeah. For I some can... reason, for years, I thought Jared Harris was a relative of Mads Mickelson. He was. He was Moriarty too, I believe. Yeah, yes. he was Moriarty. Yeah. So yeah, so I mean, a great cast here, and toss in um, Guy Ritchie's direction and screenplay on this, and well, we'll get into that later after the trivia. So Napoleon Solo's trick of removing the tablecloth from a table while leaving all the objects undisturbed was not a visual effect. Henry Cavill actually performed it himself, having trained in the trick from a British variety store, Matt Ricardo. I was very disappointed that they, they didn't show it, and then they did it in flashback, so... So they did show it. Yeah, well, no, in the first, the first time he did it, like you, he, they they do the setup. He grabs the tablecloth, and then suddenly close up on the face, and he goes, ha ha, and then they go back to the table, and he's holding the tablecloth. I was like, what? And but then they went back and did it later. Yeah, they showed it later. Well, I, I felt guess- like I was watching Hercules in New York or something the way they filmed that at first. Or like the Banderas Zorro, where you kept seeing him jump off a roof, and then suddenly they cut away, and he's on a horse. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. <laughs> totally did that. Trust me, I landed it perfectly. So uh, Army Hammer watched The Man from UNCLE before starting production to prepare for his role, and he was the only cast member to do so, <laughs> which I think was good. He did a good job, considering he's, like, from California. Yeah, I kind of wondered if they just didn't want to give away what she was or if they missed the opportunity to have uh, Alicia Vikander play April Dancer, who is the, the girl from UNCLE. I think April Dancer. I mean, April Dancer is no dumb, no more of a dumb name than Napoleon Solo. Here's my theory: is that Gabby is not her real name. Gabby's oh. another cover, and she they were this because this movie ends on such a wait for the sequel, yeah, type yeah. ending. You might be right. Maybe that's going to be a big reveal. Yeah, that, that, or that's her code name. Yeah, yeah, that's her code name or something like that. Where that's that's she was meant to be that character because at the very end of this, when they when um, Hugh Grant walks over and tells him that they have a new code, they're now uncle, and that and they actually I thought that whole scene where he wa- where Hugh Grant walks out and Alicia Vikander turns around with those huge sunglasses on to get that shot of the three of them. I want yep. that on a poster. That actually was a pretty cool shot. Yep. Yeah, I think this is a criminally underrated action movie. Hmm. Well, even just a, a spy movie. Yeah, I agree with you. Oddly enough, the action was kind of subdued intentionally. Yeah. Well, I don't know. If you look at the uh, Berlin scenes, the action wasn't Bond level, but it was it was intense. Yeah. Well, then well, you they, look they at the dock do, scene. Like, they didn't show like the the Bourne identity type fight scenes, you know, like the 
the army hammer versus the three guys at the bathroom. They didn't even show that it was all off screen. That I think it's kind of what Joel's referring to. Sure. Right. Well, and we'll get to you that. could, you could say that's a, not Guy Ritchie's style and B, they don't want to be just 1960s Jason Bourne. Right. right. Okay. Somebody... I'm not saying it's a bad choice. <laughs> I think I'm just explaining what he was trying to say. You know, I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. So, uh, the main antagonist last name is Vinici Ganera, Vin, Vinci Guerra, which is a portmanteau with the Italian phrase Vinci Guerra, which means win war. Vinaigrette. Yes. With strawberries. Uh, this originally was going to be directed by Steven Soderbergh, which I'm kind of glad it wasn't. Would have been he's a complete. Very, he's very hit or miss when he's on. He's really good. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like he is hit or miss, but it's like I don't. I think it would have been too Ocean's Eleven ish. Right. But I mean, to its credit, Ocean's Eleven was very good. But I, he, yeah. Yeah, I'll give you that. He's not an action director, though. He's more of a toned down. Right. Yeah, he's a heist director. You can criticize Guy Ritchie for all of his movies being very, very stylized, sort of like a Tarantino style director. But I like the style that he consistently puts out. So that's not really a bad thing to me. Same here. Yeah. Yeah. I really like the cinematography in this movie and and just the the style of, you know, like every time they would break apart. And they would show them doing their own things, and they would eventually meld them together. I thought it was done really well. Yeah. Well, look at Guy Ritchie's catalog. The only movie that's yeah. really a misstep is swept away. Other than that. And that was, that was all Madonna. So, And I was going to say, I think a lot of the shitting on Guy Ritchie is because of his association with Madonna. Yeah, Could their relationship that. was was kind of like a Benefer thing, like lived in the spotlight a little too much, and people got tired of hearing about it. So he mm-hmm. definitely got some backlash. And she could survive it, but... He was not a big enough star to do that. He was in love, and and he did what he did for love. That's my explanation. So okay. Anyway, uh, also in the uh, scene where they were looking over the slides, and you've got that geeky guy running the slideshow who puts in the slides upside down. Uh, that gentleman is actually David Beckham. <laughs> I didn't notice that. I didn't either. Yeah. <laughs> so he's a yeah he's a projectionist at the beginning of the movie where they're. Uh, Ilya's being briefed about Solo. That's David Beckham. I was wondering why they made a deal about that. Because as soon as he's like, oh, sorry, and he flipped the slide over, I was like, well, that character is going to die. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Interestingly, I I saw you didn't include it in the trivia, but uh, Henry Cavill was not the first choice for Napoleon Solo. No. George Clooney was cast and got sick. I, I hate to say it, but I think Henry Cavill was a better choice. I agree. I do, too. There's... I think Henry Cavill is a great actor who, unfortunately, has been in a bunch of terrible Superman movies. Yeah, we had the unfortunate chance to play Superman. Yeah, I mean, he's a perfect Superman. Unfortunately, he hasn't gotten a good Superman movie yet. Yeah. Yeah, because he totally looks like Superman. I mean, he's got the look down. Oh, yeah. And that was actually one of the things that, um, uh, what's his name, Army Hammer, when he started out, he was like, how do I compete against this? This guy's like the Roman god chiseled jaw type of guy. <laughs> I personally, my one of the things that I love about Henry Cavill's performances is his uh, his diction. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way he talked when he was, he was just like so matter of a fact about everything. Mike loves Henry's diction. <laughs> he seemed to be channeling his Robert Vaughn without even realizing Exactly. It. Yes, Pat, fine. I love Henry's diction. There you go. You go with that. <laughs> if that'll keep you happy for the rest of the show, you just run with that. It's not... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna... <laughs> to hire somebody to edit that up. <laughs> if you take one scene from the whole movie to summarize his character, it's that scene on the boat where he's talking on the phone, keeping him chatting. That oh, whole yeah. sequence 
is brilliant and the facial expressions he's making and everything. Yeah. I would almost say it would be the, the scene where he's sitting in the diesel just eating lunch and having wine while he's watching Army <laughs> Hammer get blown up. <laughs> that was awesome. I also liked how elegant he was, even as he was jumping through exploding buildings in East Berlin. Mm-hmm. Like, he never looked like he had a hair out of place, like anything was going on that he didn't have almost total control of. This and, It seemed like this was just another day for him. Yeah. He out-Robert Vaughn to Robert Vaughn. And as much as I love George Clooney, he would have been way too smarmy in the role. Yeah, there would have been a smugness. That's the thing is, you buy it with this over-the-top caricature of a super spy as Napoleon Solo because of the earnestness that Cavill brings to it that uh, uh, George Clooney would not have. Right. Well, take the scene where he's in in, um, Victoria's office and he realizes he's been drugged. And he lays down on the couch. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, well, the last time this happened, I had a nasty fall, hit my head. And, and you know, he's making himself comfortable. The entire time he's, he's, he's drugged and he realizes it and he's so suave about it. He's like, I'm feeling like I've been drugged. So and he just has a whole conversation about, you know, what? how did you know I was going to pick the scotch and everything? And he just, like, accepts the whole thing. He doesn't fight it. He doesn't, you know. Yeah. Do the, In fact, you know, he's like, oh, well, well played. <laughs> like, I guess I'm going to lay down right here. Let's see where this goes. Um. Her, uh, one of the one of the scenes that I loved in this one was when they when uh, Henry Cavill, I'm sorry, when Napoleon and Il- Ilya gets introduced in the cafe, and they have that whole conversation back and forth, and then um, uh, Jared Harris is like, "I'm going to leave you two to get acquainted," and the entire cafe gets up and walks away. Because I remember thinking, I'm like, they're being awfully bold about this conversation in a, <laughs> in a full cafe, and then they all stand up, and I'm just like, "Well, kudos to them." Yeah. Well played. Yep. <laughs> what do you think about the scene where the uh, Uncle Rudy was in the chair while they're discussing what to do with him? Oh yeah, <laughs> that was a great Guy Ritchie moment. You know, just in the background, you see the character burning alive. Where they're like, "Well, I don't know if we should release it. Well, what should we?" <laughs> I don't know if we should do. And then, and then his only reaction is, "I left my jacket in there." Okay. <laughs> Like not not that you know this guy wouldn't you know oh crap we just lost a piece of valuable information and you know uh, whatever and a, and a valuable asset the guy that could tell us a lot nope my jacket damn it yep <laughs> Josh what about you man what uh, which was your favorite spy on this one uh, I mean it's hard to not just love Napoleon Solo in this I mean yeah. every time he gets one over on Ilya I I just I'm happy yeah. Well, not that Arnie Hammer wasn't awesome, and not that Ilya didn't have his own style. But, but, but uh, they built a flaw into Ilya where they really didn't build one into Napoleon. Yeah, that's true. They had that whole that anger issue, right? That was going on about it. But and I appreciate a professional. Yeah, yeah. Well, and one of the things that was uh, I thought was one of the the cooler transitions was. The entire film, you're watching him be this suave kind of debonair, always got his wits about him, very cool, collected. Even when he's he's taking somebody on, it's always with grace and style. And then he gets into that dune buggy Jeep thing, and you can see that intensity that this is this is him at his best. You know, he's not going to lose, and he's got that intensity, and he's he's still cool, but you know, he's action star all of a sudden. I don't know. It's a nice sort of kind of change of pace. Holy crap! Okay. Uh, not only was he not the first choice, he wasn't even the second choice. Henry Cavill is Napoleon Solo. 
Uh-oh. Tom Cruise was also cast as Napoleon Solo. Oh, no. I'm so glad that Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. I'm so glad that didn't happen. It, Tom Cruise as um, God damn it, I can't think of his name. Well, in in the Mission Impossible films, good casting choice. Ethan. Ethan Hunt. Yeah, but yes. here, no. Well, they were originally going to go with Tom Cruise as Napoleon Solo and Henry Cavill as Ilya. This would have just been, you know, Mission Impossible, you know, Redux is what this. I would agree. Be. Yeah, it would have been remembered as that, not Mission Impossible movie. Yeah, yeah, it'd, it'd be like the the O Sherry for Journey. <laughs> <laughs> How about that movie that wasn't Mission Impossible, but sure sounded and looked like it was. <laughs> I mean, I get Clooney with when Soderbergh was on board. I yeah, mean, definitely. Because of the connection. But mm-hmm. Cruz, yeah, that wouldn't... I mean, I, I get where they were going with it, but it would not have worked. Not in the same way. What did you think about... Um, scroll down. What did you think about Gabby? I thought she was sexy, first of all. I mean, that they clearly cast her because she's an attractive woman. I did not actually see the twist coming, though I try not to, like, look for twists, so they frequently even obvious ones catch me by surprise. Mm-hmm. I do that, too. I purposely don't try to figure shit out. I want to be like, I want. I like that moment of, oh, my God. See, I was initially, not say concerned, but I initially knew something was up in the uh, uh, hotel room scene. Yeah, when, she, when she's able to keep up with kicking his ass, I was like, she's not just a mechanic. Yeah. There's something when she's up, you know, oh, you want to wrestle? And she starts to him, and I'm like, he is literally twice her size. What yeah. is she thinking? And then she's holding her own, and they're, just, they're destroying furniture and stuff. So, but no, then personally, I thought the whole scene where he, where she started to lean down to kiss him and then just pass dead out, that was hit a little close to home right there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, that that's a sign of a good... Good what? Uh oh. Joel? I need closure on that anecdote. <laughs> <laughs> a good what, Joel? A good what? What if I never find out who's a good boy? <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess we move on while Joel talks into the microphone, not realizing we're not hearing him. Why couldn't you hear me? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> what, was, what was good? What was good? I wasn't muted. Uh, literally like, like, yeah, it was a good. <laughs> oh, I was just saying that 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 Mike muted me probably. Um, <laughs> no, that now he's going to do it on purpose, and I won't know it. <laughs> You're real scared to keep talking. <laughs> no, but it's a sign of a good film when um, you get caught up in it so much that you kind of lose yourself in the, the reality of everyday life, and you're in that world of the film that those kind of little uh, surprises and twists catch you off guard like that. That's that's when those are those payoffs are nice. Yeah, it just says it's a good film. I, I okay. Um, spoiler alert. I, I, I really liked this movie. Um, I even had it in the background while I was doing stuff, and it still kind of captivated me. You know, I mean, I didn't, um, I didn't see the twist coming. Like I said, I don't try to look for those, but I mean, when it happened, I mean, it made me stop. And I was, I, I, I uh, because I was writing the the show notes and everything while I was watching the rest of the movie. And when that happened, I actually stopped writing and, you know maximize the screen and everything. It's like, what? Yeah, I, I really thought, enjoyed I this. Was, I thought it was well done, and the twist was pretty cool, and I thought the characters were well done. I liked, you know, the the, the cinematography, and overall, I, I, I enjoyed this movie a lot. It was, oh, you know what else was really great about it was the, was the soundtrack. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the music yeah, in this I, was awesome. It, he picked a lot of obscure stuff. I mean, he's got he's he's definitely very much like a like a Quentin T- Tarantino inspired type director. You could mm-hmm. see a lot of of his inspiration. He's a British Tarantino. It's almost kind of, yeah. kind of how I feel about him. I agree. People, people have said that before when he first started. Yeah, I couldn't. I, I knew that couldn't be an original thought. <laughs> Well, and normally, I would be all over this movie criticizing it for the tired trope of the two guys who don't like each other, who are forced to work together and eventually like each other because reasons. Well, I mean, it's it's like the me and James Sharp story. <laughs> oh, yeah, but like th- that's an element of film that I frequently criticize as being overused and done to death. But I like this in spite of that because it is like like I said I mean that that is a realistic story even though it is trope I mean and they just did a good job of portraying two guys who can have a mutual hate and respect for each other mm-hmm. well but it was earned though it it didn't just happen it wasn't just because plot right and that was the thing is their reasons for enmity being the best of their opposite sides and like they encounter their opposite number I'm the number one guy in the east I'm the number one guy in the West. We're used to squaring off and we're evenly matched. Now we have to work together. Okay, that's that's fine. I accept the reason you don't like each other. And like Joel said, they earn their way to mutual respect. Hmm. Yeah, it, it didn't feel forced. It didn't feel like it was just a, a reason to an end. There was there was a logic to it and a progression. And I think going back to Guy Ritchie and, and him as a director, I think one of the other reasons he was a good choice is because he kind of brought that sensibility of the original show where you can have the action and the drama and everything, but there's little bits of comedy in there that are peppered into keep it moving. Like the scene where they find the bugs. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was just simple scene. Didn't really move the plot necessarily one way or the other, but it, it, it cemented kind of who they were and their mutual distrust. But at the same time, it was funny. And and it was also, you know, the whole, like, you know, Showing that each time one of them tried to one up the other one, they still were able to to be equals. Mm-hmm. Right. Good point. My I like the, uh, for uh, Army Hammers for Ilya's. My favorite scene with him had to have been with him and Gabby are walking around pretending to be the couple, and they those two guys come over and try to mug they mug him, and she's like, "Give him your watch," mm-hmm. and he's. That he keeps eye contact with the one guy, and then just his hand just whacks up and hits the guy straight in the throat. <laughs> it was just like a Russian. Uh, what was he pretending to be? Architect. A Russian architect would not let his father's watch get taken. You know, just like. But uh, then the uh, when they found he uh, followed that one guy when they were inside the lab because he thought he had his watch, and he did oh, the yeah, whole that was hit him good, on yeah. the side of the head and kept him standing while he was unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> that's called the freeze. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, I th- I think the two characters they had enough going on between the two of them, like you said, where it kept them equal. That there was a co- almost a competition between the two of them to see who can do better. But at the same time, it was good to see them eventually, like you said, Josh, in that same scene where they're in the in the warehouse. I, uh, you know. Napoleon sitting in the truck stealing somebody's lunch as Ilya's driving around the lake getting exploded and finally he's like all right I'll save him now and then <laughs> drives the truck onto the boat <laughs> I'm gonna sink this boat with this truck don't ask me how it's just gonna be very basic because I am Napoleon solo <laughs> and when he did it he was like oh okay this is how this is gonna go I'll just roll up the window 
And, and I, I will punch my way out of the water. Right. Yeah, and I think that going back to Guy Ritchie again, you've got the frenetic action, but also the uh, really snappy dialogue. Meant this movie just moved. Mm-hmm. Like I, it went by so fast that uh, it. I thought it was shorter than it actually was. Yeah, I was through the first half or first hour when I thought it was. I'd only watched like a half hour's worth. Yeah, and that's a sign of a good movie when you don't realize yep. the time going by. Yep. <clears throat> now another thing for me, I watched this with the kids. Uh, I left, you know, they're upstairs doing their thing. As I was down here, we were recording the first half. They put on the movie again. Oh, they watched it back to back? No, yeah, well, we were watching the original show, and then I was like, okay, we'll turn this off. You guys, I'm going to go downstairs and start up the podcast. You guys do whatever you want. They found the, they dug out the, uh, the this movie. They dug out the, min, the man from Uncle and uh, started watching the movie again. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fun movie. I mean, it's, a, it's, got that heisty feel to it it moves fast like the transitions between the scenes were a lot of fun to watch too i mean it was it paid a good homage to the original series but at the same time made it current enough that you weren't i don't say bored but uh it wasn't too corny i'm glad they're going away from the what the what they had in the first one where every time there's gonna you know that she turned out to not be a civilian i'm glad they they went with that yeah they're going to go, apparently going to go away from that whole thing of using civilians. Now, I don't know if there's ever, I mean, if it's a man from Uncle 2. Yeah, they may end up doing it. Wouldn't mind. Oh, what's this? But I mean, it, it was just kind of, it was an interesting twist because if you were someone, you know, of my, like my father's age, who was a fan of the original show, and you went to go see this movie because you're like, oh, they're remaking a show from my childhood. Huh. You'd be sitting there thinking the whole time they're just using the same old thing they always did, using a citizen or whatever. And then it suddenly it turns out she's not at the end, and it would be kind of an interesting twist at that point. Planned for 2019. Ah. Yeah. And uh, Ilya and Solo are coming back again, and they are also bringing uh, Alicia Vin- Vikander back also. Oh, good. I'd heard that while the leads wanted to do a sequel, this was trapped in development hell. Yeah, this is uh, datelease.net, but it says, you know, this is uh, release date planned for Q3 of 2019. I hope it makes it because uh, I, I feel that the film was undermarketed by a studio that didn't really believe in it. Well, part I think of they it, thought that there was not there, there's not a base of fans out there is what they probably thought. That's the thing. It was an obscure. I mean, honestly, it's an obscure uh, movie, but it also came out as the same time as uh, Mission Impossible and uh, and think King the Kingsman. It came out at the same time, and, and Spectre also all came out at the and same spy time. Spy movies are always popular, so there's really no reason, you know, if you make a decent spy movie, why well, you should doubt it's not going to do well. Well, yeah, I think but you probably don't want to release it uh, at the same time as th- uh, two other established spy franchises and another new one. Yeah, this, I, none, I get that. Okay, I take that back. It wasn't Kingsman. Oh, it, okay. Yeah, it was uh, same come out the same as Rogue Nation, which was good and that's another one of those mission impossible everybody know it was gonna be great specter came out that same one and uh no what was the other ones not spy melissa mccarthy jesus christ (laughs) but yeah i mean it came out it came out in tandem with mission impossible and a james bond movie so you know it's it should have gotten better billing it should have gotten better press it should have gotten that but i think it was a long shot 
of uh, them doing a, a property that hadn't been touched since the 80s. You know, they did some, they tried to bring it back in the 80s uh, with a made for TV movie uh, where there's actually a joke in that because Army Hammer uh, as Ilya in the, Ilya in the uh, made for TV movie when they try to bring it back in 84? 83. 83. Uh, yeah. Ilya is actually running a women's clothing shop. He's like, he's like designing clothes. So that's where the joke of Ilya suddenly becoming this fashion. All this knowledge I of that fashion. was an odd scene. I was wondering what that was about. Yeah, that was a nod that to that. Sense. Yeah. So it, it it just felt very shoehorned in, and now knowing that it's a, it was a, like an homage type of thing, that makes a little more sense. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't even catch that. I just thought it was funny that they both had knowledge of of fashion. I just thought it was another a twist to their characters, which made sense for Solo, but for him, yeah, it seemed a little out of place. So yeah, so. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, I honestly, I enjoyed the TV show. Probably not going to be digging too farther deep into this one, into it. But this, I'll, I'm planning on getting a hold of the Blu-ray to keep it in my collection because it's just a fun, easy to enjoy spy movie. Yeah, and I'm definitely going to go see the sequel when it comes out. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Agreed. I'm mm-hmm. sorry I missed this in the theater. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so thumbs up all the way around. Sounds like it. It sounds like we're all sort of a. Not enthusiastic thumbs up for the original, but all kind of liked it. And we all really liked this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I would agree with that assessment. Totally go with it. So. Wow. One of the rare eight thumbs. I know. Eight thumbs up, rather. Eight. I mean, we just well, have yeah, eight and, thumbs every episode. But, I mean. And not only do we agree, but we agree in approximately the same proportions for yeah. both of then and the now. Yeah. So Weird. next week, Joel, what mm-hmm. are we doing? Oh, baby. It's time to do a little Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes. Wayne's the, World. We're doing Wayne's, Wayne's World, World versus... Uh, now, this took a little bit of time for us to figure out what we were going to do it against. We went with Pick of Destiny, much to Josh's chagrin. <laughs> it's all right. It's not the <laughs> biggest stretch we've ever had. Yeah. It, it's a smaller chagrin. It's not a big chagrin. Yeah. And, and but, it is a classic film that has an anniversary coming up. Yes. And seeing that one of us actually lives in Aurora, Illinois... Um, me, as far as I know. <laughs> North Aurora. North Aurora. Yeah, liar. All right. It's just easier well, for I'm... me to say Aurora than have to explain North Aurora. Um, we used to live like 20 minutes from the, the car stack. Yeah. Whatever you call it. The, the, the needle. Yeah, we used, to wait, uh, live, we used to live by the needle. Um, I'm. They're actually turning one of the pizza places in Aurora into uh, Noah's Arcade. For the 25th anniversary, they've got a lookalike contest. Two Brothers Brewery out here is doing a a brewing view of it. And uh, on the 4th of July, they're going to be having the world's largest. They're going to have Guinness out here to record the most people headbanging to Bohemian Rhapsody at the same time. Nice. So, Wayne's World versus the Pick of Destiny. It's pronounced Milwaukee. So if you want to uh, share your thoughts on either the upcoming Wayne's World show, a past show, or this show, The Men From UNCLE, uh, you can give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Right. And uh, if you want to find our oldest stuff, again, it's on uh, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. And if you are out in the uh, northern Illinois area, not too far north, maybe so, I don't know. South of Chicago, but north of the rest of Illinois. Uh, head out to uh, Bourbon A and see us at LodgeCon 2017. 
go to LodgeCon uh, 2017 to be able to find it out there. And uh, you can also find more of the info on there on the uh, our Facebook page. So, yeah. <laughs> what? At least he's not babbling about friends. Let's just move on. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So, that's it. And I guess we will uh, talk to you guys next week. <laughs>